Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we have Billy Humphrey from the International House of Prayer in Atlanta, where they have been praying 24-7 with live worship for 14 years. I'm excited to chat with him and glean from what they've been doing there. If you're new to the podcast, uh, this podcast exists to equip present center communities to worship and pray night and day. And so this is aimed at worshipers and intercessors and lovers of Jesus. Uh, if you're a part of a house of prayer or a burn furnace or a praying church, we'd encourage you to share this episode and this podcast with them because it's going to really help them and encourage them and strengthen them just like it's helping you. So any way that you can share this podcast or this episode or like it or review it or rate it, any of those kinds of things are really helpful to us. And also, if you could subscribe, that would be amazing. I would suggest the email subscription which you can do at our website at presencepioneers.org, but you can also subscribe in whatever podcast app you use as well. All right. Well, Billy, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm so glad to be here, Matthew. I'm excited about what what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So honored to have you. You guys are in Atlanta, International House of Prayer, Atlanta. A lot of people will probably know that you are there, but you have been praying nonstop with live worship for 14 years. That's crazy. I mean, holidays, snow days, the power goes out. You guys haven't stopped, huh? Yeah. The fire on the altar has flickered a few times, but sure. no, it's, it's never stopped. Um, yeah. I mean, it's obviously the activity of the grace of God that's enabled us to stay rolling this, this amount of time. And um, yeah, I think probably getting going for me, I was, I was the last one on board. I, I, I honestly thought we would probably just bottom out and, you know, maybe move to Kansas city or something, but right. um, the, the Lord has been very kind and carried us all these years. It's been beautiful. We just celebrated 14 years in February. So yeah, that's incredible. Well, there's probably a million things we could talk about that would be really helpful, encouraging to folks that listen, but why have you done that? That's my first question. Why have you guys done that? It's, I can't imagine the effort the challenge and the finances and the labor. Why are you guys? Why are you guys doing that? I mean, I'll, I'll give two points. Um, firstly, for me, I, I, the Lord He apprehended me back in um, 2001. Started dealing with me about revival, the the contending for revival, and not just like a local church revival, but um, really a, a far-reaching revival. It's something that's been burning my heart since 96, but really in t- 2001, I, I was getting encountered deeply. And he, what he did was he, he touched my life and, and my ministry at that time with a little season, just an outpouring. And when it lifted, it, it basically just wrecked me and put mm-hmm. me into a position where I, I was no longer, I mean, personally, just kind of no longer felt like I was fit for church as usual. Right. And um, I was honestly just finding um, rest and, you know, requ- my soul was requiring restoration from the Lord in that the wake of that revival. And I found that only in prayer. Mm. So I'd find myself three, four, five hours a day, just sort of laying before the Lord in the place of worship and prayer, just put on a CD and just kind of weeping before the Lord. 
he apprehended me in that season and then just began to do a dramatic number of prophetic things that made it so clear to me that he wanted me to plan a house of prayer. Yeah. So whenever it got going, I was, um, you know, I, I was sure going into it, we could do it. And then as, as I spent a year in Kansas city, after a year in Kansas city, I was sure this is no way, this is not going to work. And I thought for sure this thing is going to uh, never work, but and I'll just move back to Kansas city. And then the Lord sees to it that 24 seven emerges and, and it stays um, sustained over the last 14 years. And I think, so now the second point, the most compelling reason um, is beyond just revival. Um, it's the most compelling reason to do night and day worship and prayer is the worth of Jesus, the immeasurable yes. worth of the man Christ Jesus. And when you begin to get apprehended with who he is, um, when you get a little glimpse of, of the knowledge of him, a little glimpse of the beauty of him, uh, what happens is he begins to sort of plumb line your, your orientation in life. And, uh, you know, the old hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of the glory of his glory and grace. And, uh, and so the worth of Jesus is what compels the worship in the throne room, the holiness of the father, the worth of Jesus. We sit revelation four and five. And so Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's been the singular, most compelling reason for us to be able to to sustain and maintain the vision of his beauty, the vision of his worth. He's far more worthy than anything we're able to offer, but to live in a a, um, a community of constant adoration to his name, to, to his wonder, uh, it just seems like the only thing that makes sense. That's amazing. So there was a there was sort of a personal revival that you had in your own life where you began praying hours and hours a day. Uh, but then there was also just this clear prophetic storyline for you that there was a leadership role you had to play in doing it. But the the heart of it being Jesus is worthy of it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, honestly, the re- so we had a movement of the Spirit, but the revival left me wanting, you know, because it, right. it came and it left. And okay. In that place of sort of ashes, that's where the Lord really, mm. he kind of just trapped me in prayer. Yeah. Prayer was the only place I could breathe. Wow. Yeah. So you have a, uh, you have a course called Watchmen on the Wall on, yeah. on your website. You've been doing a lot of resources and stuff online, which is amazing. Talk to us about that. The, this, this course on night and day prayer, people, we'll link to it in the show notes. People can go check it out. It's a free course on your website, yeah. I believe. Uh, it's based out of Isaiah 62. How does that play into this whole idea, day and night prayer? Yeah, so Isaiah 62 would be one of the key passages in the scripture that identifies that, you know, night and day worship and prayer on the earth isn't just a like a good idea. It's actually something that's got a rich theology behind it. Isaiah 62, right. one of those clear passages that sort of unfolds that theology. And I think for me, um, that that passage, it, it was particularly important because it was about um, maybe a year and a half into when we were 24 seven. And I'm reading Isaiah 62, and I know the passage. I mean, I know it with my head. And, you know, um, I have set watchmen on your wall, on your walls, Jerusalem. They, they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give the Lord no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I'm reading that Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, and it appears to me, it's clear to me, that the Lord is 
he's talking about what he's going to do on the earth before he returns, before the second coming. When he says he's going to establish and make Jerusalem the praise of the earth, he's talking about Jesus' return. And, and it just hits me square like, oh, this idea of watchman on the wall isn't some figurative sort of name that we give the prayer ministry. This idea of watchman on the wall is the plan of God to wrap up this age. And he's going to raise up these communities wow. yeah. with people, real people who are going to be crying out night and day until he makes Jerusalem the praise. And Jerusalem isn't the praise because it's a cool place. It's, it becomes the praise of the earth because Jesus is dwelling there. That's the point. And, um, and so I'm reading it. It's 2007. I'm reading it. We're 16 months in to 24-7. And it goes right through me. And I think, you know, this isn't just a nice scripture. This is a scripture that talks about what I'm doing right now. And when wow. all of a sudden I begin to see myself in this prophetic fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about, you know, 800 years or so before Jesus even came, it was rocking my world. I bet. And so I went and I had a conversation I, I, at the same time I was, I had a conversation with Mike Nickel about it. And I just said, Hey, this passage is about before the Lord returns. Is this about us? Is this about what we're doing? You know, I just, I'd never connected the dots. Yeah. And, uh, and he tried to like skirt the question a little bit. He was trying to make a joke. I go, he said, that's a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work. I go, no, no, no. I need, I need to know <laughs> if you think that we're in the days of the fulfillment of this. Right. And I said, I think I'm fully, I'm, I'm finally understanding it for the first time. And he says, you're, you're going to come to that revelation 10 more times. Oh my gosh. That you're just now getting it. And, uh, and I said, so you think it's about like these prayer ministries and, and the house of prayer and 24 seven and burns, you know, like, I'm, I wasn't just thinking it's only the house of prayer movement. I was saying it's this right. global prayer movement. You think that's Isaiah 62 and, and, and it is in part for sure. And, and, and he said, yeah, he goes, I do. And, and man, I just remember that just, it so shocked me, but it made so much sense hmm. because I was going a certain direction and I was a youth pastor evangelist guy that wanted revival. I was traveling, doing youth conferences. The Lord shifts me to, I'm going to be a house of prayer guy to build 24 seven. Like that's a completely, I was in a different vein entirely. Right. But I, I see the sovereign hand of the Lord in it. And, um, and so, yeah, that, in that course, you mentioned the course, in the course, yeah. just unpack the details of that Isaiah 62 passage, verse 1 through 7. Yeah. And, you know, it's, just a, it's one of those introductory things that just once you kind of get that, that piece clear, it helps you sort of reorient around what God's doing in the earth with worship and prayer and mission. Yes, that's amazing that we can engage in this and and look at the scriptures and say, we're a part of what this scripture prophesied, what yeah. Isaiah prophesied about hundreds of years ago. It's incredible. And it might sound a little bit like, wow, dude, you're, you're kind of making a big deal out of yourself. And I, and, and I'm not doing that. I'm going like, right. I'm in shock that, I'm, <laughs> that this Bible passage actually talks about, you know, I mean, we, we believe that people are going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth to fulfill the great commission because sure. Matthew 24 says that. Right. And so, but we kind of, in our minds, put it on the wheels of inevitability. Like somebody's going to do it somewhere sometime, but no, no, no. The guys that are getting sent right now into Iran, into Iraq, into the Middle East, that are sharing the gospel and sharing it with unreached peoples, they're part of the fulfillment of those passages. Well, same right. thing with the prayer movement that's prophesied in Isaiah 62. Yeah. 
we're doing it. So people can actually engage in this and then catch, find themselves in the storyline of in God. The story. Yeah. That God good. has prophesied for hundreds of years as, as we engage in this uh, and get a part of that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's no, amazing. Shocking. I know. It's, it's awesome. Well, we've, you know, probably, uh, got tons of people on here who are you know probably involved in or or leading some kind of worship and prayer ministry or community or something like that. I mean, what were if you could go back, you know, 14 years from now lo- looking back over the, over these, you know, 14 or more years as as you've led IHOP Atlanta, what are some of the biggest challenges? What would you change if you could go back and say, "Oh man, we did this really well. Oh man, I would have done this a little bit differently." you know, 14, 15 years ago? Yeah. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, I think there were things that I was certain about year one, year two, that God completely changed on me year five and year six, that I became certain about in year seven and eight, that he completely changed on me in year 12 and 13. Like, gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, for instance, my understanding of even church, what church is, what, what God's doing with church, um, you know, I, I would have, when I first started the house of prayer, I would have thought there's a day coming where every local church is going to be a house of prayer. Like, I mean, I, I maybe wouldn't have said it publicly, but I was just, you know, you're, you're a little bit high on yourself. You're doing the new thing and you think. And by house of prayer, you mean hosting lots and lots of prayer meetings every yeah, week. Like missionaries that are doing 24 seven. Like I was, God's going right. to get rid of the current model and he's going to do like 24 seven prayer as the main thing. Like, right. So I get really, really, you know, in my mind, just get, oh, this is what the, per- this is what Isaiah 62 is. Yeah. And then, you know, the Lord tells me, well, I want you to become a church. So what I was certain of in year one and two, okay, it's going to be all houses of prayer. He goes, no, no, I want you to become a church. Hmm. So I'm like, the house of prayer is a church. Okay. So I get that in year five and six. I'm like, huh. Okay. Yeah. So we're a church now. Okay. So I don't know what that means. We have to have a community. And then what I realize is, He's actually not trying to get the prayer movement to replace local church. He's actually trying, you know, by year 12 and 13, I realized he's taking this Isaiah 62 prayer movement, the Malachi 111, he's taking this thing, he's putting it in the guts of the local church. Right. So if there's a reformation coming, it's coming to the center of the church, not in, you know, not to replace the church. Yeah. So, so in 15 years, my understanding of that arc is quite different today than it would have been then. Yeah. Um, I think well, like also, f- 15 years ago, I mean, most of, most of the prayer ministries were sort of disconnected from the local church in a lot right. of ways in cities, you had houses of prayer and then you had local churches, whereas it seems like some of those worlds are kind of coming together in, in a different way, especially over the last five, five to 10 years or so. For sure. For sure. And I, and the reason why is God wants to put night and day prayer in the center of the community of faith. Yeah. He uh, Jesus, wants, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. He yeah. meant his, his church, his people. Exactly. Was that, that's the church. Yeah. And so I think that that's a critical thought that each, each pastor has a responsibility to steward the congregation God gives him. He's got to steward them in the word and he's got to steward them before the presence of the Lord. Yeah. But what are they to steward? They're just to steward God's presence in the midst of his people. It's always been that way. Yeah. And so the church is to be built around the presence of God. And so I think having a center place 
in church life where God's presence is constantly stewarded, that's just going to be normal for us. If we, when we fast forward 10 more years, the idea of the prayer room in the church is going to be so normal. Yes. 15 years ago, you couldn't see it hardly at all. Now it's becoming normative. In 10 or 15 more years, the, I think the sort of that spirit-filled, worshiping, reviving presence kind of church, they're all going to have prayer rooms in the middle. They're mm-hmm. all going to have 15 or 20 hours of worship and prayer because they're going to plumb align themselves to the person of Jesus around his presence with the word at the center. And, and that's going to be kind of the center place of the, the community of believers. So that's a major shift in my mentality from say 15 years ago and where I think yeah. it's going. And we, uh, you know, you and I were in a meeting uh, the beginning of around new year's and they were talking about, you know, if you go on Google search for house of prayer all over America, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was hundreds and hundreds of them. Maybe now that number has gone down. And so in some ways it seems like, Oh, the prayer movement, at least the house of prayer movement is shrinking back. And, but actually I think what's happening and what, what I think you're getting at is that it's, it's getting into the DNA of the body of Christ at large and you're seeing the church embrace it. uh, And it's not necessarily defined as a separate thing, but the church is actually becoming the house of prayer in a greater way in terms of embracing ministry to the Lord, the presence of God, that worship and prayer, some expression of that in a lo- in local churches. And now there's hundreds of local churches that are doing, you know, burns and prayer rooms yeah. and, and prayer nights and all kinds of things that weren't doing that 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Would you say yeah. that's the case? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's going to turn into thousands in the days ahead. Yes, I, sure. I, I think it's going to be normal. I think right. you're going to show up at a, a charismatic church and they're going to say, yeah, we have 10 or 15 hours of worship or 20 or 25 hours of worship a week. That's just what we do at the center. Right. Because yes. to him belongs the preeminence, right? Christ yes. repossessing his church. Mm-hmm. Another thing that um, has radically changed in my, in my mentality is the concept of prayer and mission. Mm-hmm. So prayer and church and then prayer, worship and prayer and then mission. Like, um, you know, I didn't really have a, I didn't really have a picture of mission. Um, I didn't understand how mission and prayer would go together. But probably around 2010, 2011, the Lord started talking about this convergence of prayer and mission. He was bringing the two together. And this is something, you know, again, just Mike Vickle for 25 years, 30 years has been saying that the greatest missions movement the, the earth will ever see is going to be born out of the prayer room. And I'm, I mean, you're just talking about somebody's prophesying something way ahead of anybody's concept of what the heck he's even talking about. Yeah. And, and now, I, I mean, I totally see this. Like, it's in the place of worship and prayer that people's hearts get gripped with Jesus' vision for the kingdom and the expansion of the kingdom. And so then, in, in our community, for instance, now, we have about 50 overseas missionaries in six different nations. Um, four of them are hostile to the gospel. And uh, what they've done is they've gone into those nations, set up prayer rooms, and from that place of presence, begun to share the gospel in unreached areas. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so that mentality to me it was completely not on the table in 2004 when we got started. Around yeah. 2010, 11, the language started emerging. 2012, the Lord really dealt with us. We start a missions training environment, and now... We train and send missionaries to um, 
unreached areas in the earth to set up first a presence, a place of presence, a place of worship and prayer, and then from that presence center to do do outreach and evangelism and church planning. Yeah. Major awesome. shift. That's a major yeah. shift. I think it's going to be so normal in 10, right. 15 more years. I mean, we've yeah. already seen like, um, you know, YWAM has just so embraced the concept of, you know, worship and prayer again and putting it in at the center and then doing mission from there. It's happening yeah. in many, many places around the earth. I mean, in so many different missions organizations, the Antioch guys in Waco, they're all saying the same style of language. There's something dramatic happening as it relates to mission from the place of the presence, from the place of uh, an abiding place of the presence of God that's steward in worship and prayer. Yeah. That's amazing. So it sounds like you started off that it was mostly prayer, but then and church and missions were kind of also on the sides, but you're seeing them now almost all as one reality that's kind of moving together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. So there's only a couple of places in America that are sustaining 24-7 prayer uh, on an ongoing basis. You guys are one of them. Uh, I, I've been in this movement long enough to have heard tons and tons of people say, we want to see 24-7 in our city. We want to see a 24-7 house of prayer in our city. There's not actually not a lot of places that are doing it. Kansas City, I know Washington, D.C., you guys. There's been a couple other places that have have maybe done it for a season. Um, so I, I guess I would love to, to hear hear your perspective on this. Like, What would you say to somebody that says, I want to see 24-7 worship and prayer in my city, because there's a lot of people that do. I think if, if I'm, if I remember correctly, Mike Bickle tried to talk you out of it when you, when you took the idea to him, I don't know if you would try to talk people out of it or not, but I think there's, you know, sometimes people are just being idealistic, but I also think there's some, there's a real desire in some people's hearts to say, Hey, Jesus is worshiped in heaven day yeah. and night. I want to see that. I want to see heaven on earth in my city. You know, what would, what would you say to someone who's, who's burning for that? Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024, with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media. Dot presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Yeah, I mean, I, and you're right. Mike definitely was trying to talk me out of it when I first met him. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, I think that's probably the best thing he could have done for me because if he could have talked me out of it, then I shouldn't have been trying to do it anyway. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people have a good, a good desire for it. And, um, and, and I don't think it's, it's wrong or off. I just, at, at times I think that, uh, when we're, we're desiring a good thing, it may not necessarily be God's, God's thing. For instance, David, perfect example, Solomon builds the Lord a temple. <laughs> and he even gets a prophet to agree with him. Yeah. And then the prophet gets an encounter from the Lord and says, hey, don't do that. Um, and so here's the thing. The, the rigor and the finance and the personnel that's necessary to see 24-7 sustained, uh, is, it's extensive. And... Yeah. Um, we mostly have done it on a Gideon crew in Atlanta. I mean, it has not mostly been hundreds of people um, on staff with us. It's mostly been, you know, dozens of people, mostly like, you know, I think our, our average staff numbers are around 40 to 50 locally. That's how we've yeah. kind of maintained with another 125 or something volunteers. Um, and that's been super lean and, and not easy at all. Right. Um, in our church community, in our broader church community, now we're up to about 1,200. And, and our church is a, a product of a merge or a local church and the house where we've merged together. And then we've begun to grow um, as this new sort of kingdom work. That's, it's really an unusual deal. But um, even now, like we're still engaging our church community to get them to even understand, hey, like it really doesn't stop over there. Like the yeah. prayer room actually still goes on Thanksgiving. Right. And, um, and, and even engaging that group is is um, the, the new folks that are showing up and then the folks that have been, of course, part of the merge is still just a work in progress. So my point is, it's an incredible amount of resource, necessary, personnel, finance. Um, so I think it's a good thing. I think it's a God thing. I, t- I tend to think this, the number of local places that will have 24-7 will be relatively small. How many do you think? Uh, I don't, I don't know. You don't know? I, I mean, if I was going to throw a dart, okay, before yeah, throw, the world returns, <laughs> I would say 50 or less. In, in the world or in America? In the earth. In the, in earth. the earth. Okay. I'd say that number is going to be relatively small, but the number of churches and ministries that host 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week of worship and prayer at the centerpiece of their spiritual family, that's going to be hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And that's what I believe uh, is going to export sort of this, this message and power the gospel into the, into the 1040 window and sort of prep the earth for massive revival and the return of the Lord. I I don't think it's going to be, I don't think everything's going to look like 24 seven. Um, I I love what the burn does. I love that they go in and they do it in a 24 or 48 hour, you know, kind of a window. I think that's so good because it orients people to a, a presence reality that's perpetual and they they, they kind of, their hearts ache and long for that. And I think that that's super helpful and it's another log on the fire. Yes. But I think, um, what is most reproducible, I, I think is like what we've seen in, maybe with Upper Room, um, with Michael Miller. They do three three prayer meetings a day. Their church is based in the presence of God. Um, You know, the person of Jesus is at the center. 
Mm-hmm. And then from there, they do a bunch of church and, and kingdom work. Mm-hmm. I think that's a sweet model that's reproducible. I think the Antioch Church Network is looking at something like that right now. Um, and I think a yeah. lot of church networks are looking at something where they can reproduce it and it's attainable. Yeah, They don't have to figure out how to get 100 local missionaries who are fully funded to maintain a, a fire you know, of worship and prayer that never stops for you know, 10, yeah. a decade or more. Sure. Yeah. That's good. Thank you for your perspective on that. I mean, I personally believe that there still will be intercessory missionaries, prayer missionaries. Oh, for sure. So I think even as the prayer movement sort of infiltrates the body of Christ, so to speak, I do still believe there's going to sort of be that missional, almost monastic kind of those kinds of communities that continue to, uh, you know, and probably a lot of them are going to be the ones doing the 24-7 too, I would guess. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there will be 50 ish, you know, I don't know the number. Maybe it's a hundred. I don't, I don't know, yeah. but I think there will be those that are kind of hubs. Yeah. And, um, and then I think there'll be hundreds of thousands of places where Jesus is at the center and his, Amen. his presence is uh, being tended to by, by the, the community of faith. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, look, you've, uh, I know you and I've just gotten to recently connect. We had a couple brief conversations, but in, in one of the co- conversations we had recently, you were saying that God was stirring your heart about the tabernacle of David, which uh, for me personally uh, has just been a topic that I've studied for years. And it's just the, the Lord's constantly brought me back into. Uh, we've talked about it on some previous episodes on this podcast. We've interviewed David Fritch uh, once before, and we, we chatted about it. We'll link to all that in the show notes. But I would love for you to give some perspective on that, on what God's kind of stirring in your heart on the Tabernacle of David. You had a blog post, I know, 24-7 Prayer in the Spirit of the Tabernacle of David. What's God uh, stirring and speaking to you on this on this topic? Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm super hungry for. Um, it, what I mean is to get greater revelation of it. Um, and it, for me, it was toward the end of last year, and I just felt the Lord kind of whisper to my heart, and he and he challenged me, and and I'm I'm growing to this place where when I feel corrected by the Lord, it actually it, it feels it feels like love. It, you know what I mean? Like when, yeah. once you're understanding the Father, His corrections aren't negative as much as they're like encouragements. And so this was an instruction slash correction to me. But I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, uh, "Almost nobody understands the Tabernacle of David." Wow. And I'm, and, and, and then he said to me, he goes, you don't really understand it. And I'm like, I, I've been doing something for 14 <laughs> years. I, okay. Like, <laughs> what have I been doing all this time? Right, and, right. and, um, and what I realized the Lord was saying is that we've gotten this far on minimal revelation. Hmm. So we've gotten a little bit of revelation on the tabernacle of David. Most people don't really understand the, the breadth of it and the yeah. depth of it. But th- what we've gotten has gotten us this far. What we've understood so far has gotten us this far. But there's so much more to understand. Yeah. And so I'm, um, I'm in the middle of just trying to lean in, ask the Lord to, to open my heart, my understanding. And, and I would just say in the last you know, six weeks or so, I feel like the Lord's he's encouraged me. He's shared more with me about it from the scripture in the last six weeks than I've probably understood in the previous 14 years. That's amazing. Combined. And so I'm, I feel like I'm at the beginning of the beginning of this, but I'm really, my heart is to lean into it and to hear 
what the spirit is saying to the church. I, I will say this, this is a key thought. And this is what I've been mentioning that I think that the church is going to go to. But I think when we see Acts 15 and we see um, James bring up the tabernacle of David, he's quoting Amos 9. And, and he says that the tabernacle of David will be a light for the nations. Um, you know, and that's how that we know the Gentiles are welcomed into the gospel. That's the context. He's saying, we know the Gentiles are welcomed in, and he quotes the Amos 9 passage. I actually, I think we've really kind of missed the point in some ways. I mean, the point, yes, for sure, the Gentiles are welcomed in, but he actually uses this critical passage about the tabernacle of David yeah. being stored and rebuilt as a light to the Gentiles for the, for the nations to come to know Jesus. And, and he's doing it at the Jerusalem council. It's like the first major church council. And I just think that maybe we've missed a major hint from the Lord as we're talking about presence center or worship at the center of the church. I think it's very, very likely the Lord all along has been hinting to us. It's supposed to be the spirit of the tabernacle of David. It's supposed to be night and day, kind of worship and prayer it doesn't be 24 seven per se, but this night and day worship and prayer reality at the centerpiece of the, of the gathering of the people of God at the community. And it's from that place of presence, that sort of presence outpost that the kingdom is going to go forth with power, yes. which that idea fully mirrors what he did with Moses and the tabernacle in the wilderness, what he did with Solomon and the temple, what he did with David and the tabernacle of David. Yeah. The concept of the presence of God at the center at the center of the people of God as the place from which the kingdom goes forth is fully established. So I don't know why we would shift in in the church in, in the time after the resurrection as the church is being born into right. some other other version where we sort of meet on Sunday, I don't know, have a prayer meeting in the side room and then we do an outreach thing once or twice a year. Like yeah. That just doesn't, it doesn't seem to go at all with the theme that we've seen all the way through scripture. So my point is, say a long, long answer. It's a great answer. I, I think James is hinting to us that it's the presence center in the, in, at the center of the people of God that is actually going to be the place from which kingdom power manifests, from which the gospel yes. goes forth, from which the Gentiles come in. And then when you read Paul... Paul says in incredible things. You're being built together. Ephesians 2, you're being built together as a dwelling place for God in the spirit. Ephesians 2.22. Yeah. I mean, what's he talking about? Right. He's talking about the church as living stones being a temple for God. He says it in 21. He says, you're being built together for this dwelling place of God. It's about the glory of God dwelling in the midst of the people of God. And from that place, the kingdom being expanded. We see yeah. it in Acts 5. We see it in Acts 13. Anyway, so I won't, I won't continue just to emote on that, but I think that that's a key, a key point from James, that Tabernacle of David at the center place of the church, this concept of this abiding prayer and presence at the, center place, at the centerpiece of the church, where Jesus is in the center, and we tend his presence at the center, that's probably what James is pointing at, um, in addition to the Gentiles being welcomed in. Yeah. So not just we individually are temples of the Holy Spirit, but that we collectively are become a dwelling place of the presence of God. That's a bit of a For different sure. concept. A lot of people 
have the or, or getting the understanding that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, God dwells in me. But there's actually a corporate, a collective application to that as well, where God's building us together as a place of God's of His presence, as of a royal priesthood together, right? Yeah, and what you know when you read the the um, verses uh, that talk about being the temple in the New Testament. I think there's one that's clear that he's talking about us individually, but there's like five that are, they're talking about us, the corporate reality of the body right. as the temple. Yeah. It's the church corporate yeah. uh, congregationally. That is the temple. And so we're in the, in the West, we're so entrepreneurial and so independent. We always think, well, what about me? What about me? And we yeah. always, we always individualize it, but that's not the, that's not the thrust of the New Testament. The thrust of the New Testament is definitely more cooperative, communal. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that he says together with all the saints that you would know the height, the width, the depth of life. I mean, there's always these connections of all of us together experiencing the, the depth of God's love, the depth of God's glory. Yes. So when it says in Thessalonians, it says pray without ceasing. Most people go, how do I pray without ceasing? But he's writing to a church. He's not writing yes. to an individual. And so those kinds of exhortations we take personally, usually because we've got our own Bible and we're reading it for ourselves. But those are those are exhortations to congregations to, totally. to do those things together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Awesome, man. Well, look, any, any other uh, encouragement you want to share? I mean, we've got you know, intercessors and worshipers and those kinds of people on, what would you like to, to say to them kind of close, closing remarks here? You know, I'm thinking about this, obviously this issue of the tabernacle of David, and you, you, you brought the phrase of as a kingdom of priests. Yeah. And I feel like um, there's so much light that is on that phrase right now. This concept that we are a kingdom of priests. Now that's not just for the pastors. It's not for the, the prayer people. It's for believers. He has Mm -hmm. made us a kingdom of priests. And there's a rich theology too. I won't won't go through and unpack all of it. But here's the point that we have all a common shared identity as priests before God. Whether you're called to the marketplace, to the ministry place, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, teacher, school bus driver, mailman, trashman, you know, stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter what you're actual vocation is you have a kingdom identity that supersedes that vocation and what we've done is we've kind of done this weird thing where we've connected our identity to our vocation and made that our calling but we're actually called according to his purpose and his purpose is to see his glory manifest across the nations the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as water to the sea right so we're called unto that end first. And our very first calling is as a kingdom of priests, which simply means this, that the first work, so to speak, of our lives is to minister to the Lord in intimacy. Yes. And if, if the church can shift from this identity that what I do is my identity to who I am and who I am in Christ is my identity. I'm a, I'm a priest first. You know, we use other language, the bride, the sons of God, you know, but those are all priestly terms. They're speaking of intimacy. Then, then what the church, what happens to us then is we recognize when we come together, we have a singular purpose and that's to minister to his heart. 
to love and adore him. He's already put the invitation out in the cross. He's already done the incarnation. He's already shed his blood. He's already poured out his spirit. And he said, I love you through all of that. Now, our identity as a priest is to now answer that love invitation, to minister back to him. If we just get rid of the idea of priest with robes and hats and sure. you know, <laughs> swinging censers of incense, if we just get yeah. rid of that and realize that priests, they minister to God. Mm-hmm. Right? Acts 13, while they ministered to God, the Holy Spirit said, yes. separate unto me. Um, Saul and Barnabas for the ministry of But that ministering to the Lord. So like think on like so we come together in corporate worship on a Sunday. If everybody's walking in the room and they're realizing, I'm coming here today firstly to minister to God, mm-hmm. then we never walk away from worship going, Hey, I didn't really get much out of it. Right. If I didn't get much out of the worship, then the trajectory of my worship wasn't towards God. It was towards me. Mm-hmm. If that's my mentality, like I didn't get anything out of it. Well, we didn't come to worship you. Right. We didn't come to minister to you. We came to minister to God. Mm. And it's in that. So we're answering his love invitation by ministering to him, by loving him back. And it's in that free flow of ministering back to his heart that he then ministers to us. Yeah. We priest before we prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Yeah. We minister to the Lord, and then he speaks to us. Hmm. I'll just share this little quick story. Sure. I have a bowl of mints in my office. All the little kids that come to the house of prayer, they know I've got these mints. So they all, you know, sometimes they'll line up, and I'll give like eight or ten of them out at a time. <laughs> but this one little guy is so cute. is Wyatt. I mean, he is the cutest little boy ever. And Wyatt will come up to me like clockwork, and he'll just go, can I have a mint? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm already ready. I've got it many times. I got it in my pocket, hand it to Wyatt. You know, I want him yeah. to have a mint. So the other day he comes up to me and he goes, how was your day? Can I have a mint? <laughs> how was your day? Can I have a mint? Just like that. <laughs> and I look over at his mom and his mom's laughing. Yeah. And she says to me, I'm trying to teach him to have a conversation with you and, and, and care about you before he asks you for anything. Right. And when she said that to me, I, it hit me. How often do we approach God? Can I have a mint? Can I have a mint? Can I have a mint? Yeah. Instead wow. of how are you, Lord? I love you. I, yeah. I care about you. And I, I want to minister to you. And that's mm-hmm. the, probably an, an offense to our own heart that God would want our ministry, but he absolutely does. Yes. He wants our love. He wants our adoration. He, he wants us to minister to him. And it's from that place of our identity as priests that we enter into our first vocation, ministering to the Lord. And then the Lord, he then turns and ministers back to us and through yes. us. And that to me is, it's burning on my heart right now. I think it's yes. something that the church has got to step into. I think we're going to step more into that identity Amen. in the, in the days ahead. But yes. anyway, I think it's an important one. Yes, that's so good. What that's an awesome point to end on, man. Thank you so much, Billy. It's so much good stuff. It's going to be helpful and encouraging to everybody. Um, I know you're doing a lot of stuff online right now with podcasts and blogs and and things like that. What's the best way for people who want to connect with you and and get some of that stuff? Yeah, so go to um, you can go to my website, BillyHumphrey.com. I write I write I write every week. I write a blog every week and just serves as a devotional thing to try to encourage and sharpen our hearts to, to grow closer to Jesus and intimacy. Um, and from there you can find all my online teaching through my podcast. Um, and then also um, our e-courses. We've got a couple new ones we're going to be putting out here pretty shortly. Um, 
one on abiding in the presence of God, and then another one on Paul's apostolic ministry. Those will be coming out here in the first part of this year. And so, um, yeah, look for that stuff. But you can just go to billyhumphrey.com. Perfect. All right. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Billy. Yeah. What an honor. Bless you, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening today to this episode. Again, if you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it on social media or forwarding to your friends. That would be great. And be sure to subscribe, stay connected with us. We've got a lot more great stuff coming your way. Thanks again. God bless.